<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. <laughs> I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again because it's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie, too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Picture. Oh, Pick God, Pick. I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison, and it's Extra Large Popcorn Week, because this episode we are bringing you a double feature. The film content is rolling in now that we're into fall, and there are so many big movies to talk about. So this episode, we've got you covered on two films that are going to be much discussed and at the top of people's must-sees. One of them, a giant-sized sequel to a zeitgeist-defining Marvel blockbuster. And the other, a much, much, much smaller film with about eight actors, made by a revered Oscar-winning filmmaker. Very different films, but in some ways surprisingly connected. They are Black Panther and The Banshees of Inishirin. We are going to be discussing major plot points in both of these films, so if you haven't seen them yet and don't want spoilers... Just save this episode of the podcast for later, because we shall be spoiling. First up, we're heading back to Wakanda for the sequel to 2018's Black Panther. Ryan Coogler is back to write and direct, and most of the cast is back as well, like Angela Bassett, Lupita Nyong'o, Letitia Wright, Winston Duke, Denai Guerrero, Martin Freeman, and more. There is one star missing, and his absence is certainly felt in this film, that is, of course, Black Panther himself, Chadwick Boseman who tragically passed away in August of 2020 before this film went into production. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is set a year after King T'Challa has died of a mysterious illness and finds the characters still reeling from this loss. As they struggle with their grief, they have to navigate the consequences of T'Challa's decision to let the world know about Wakanda's existence. France, America, and other world powers are suspicious of Wakanda's power, and more than that, They want access to the source of that power, the vibranium. When a CIA and Navy SEAL mission uncovers a shaft of this precious material on the bottom of the ocean floor, a group of blue-skinned, water-dwelling superhumans, led by Namor, kill that expedition. Namor then goes to Wakanda, easily bypassing their security, and confronts Queen Ramonda and Shuri. He blames Wakanda for alerting the world to vibranium's existence, and in so doing, risking the discovery of Talokan, another secret, technologically advanced, powerful nation, basically a water Wakanda, that he built and has been protecting for centuries. Black Panther asks the question, in an unjust world where everyone wears the scars of history, do those with the deepest scars find their peace through vengeance or forgiveness? Helen, first impressions. So this movie opens with T'Challa dying and us watching the characters and the actors mourn the death of T'Challa and Chadwick Boseman. I recently started watching uh, season six of Peaky Blinders where Helen McCrory, who played Aunt Polly, unfortunately passed away in April of 2021. And it's the same feeling of, you know, you watching this show deal with the death of such a beloved character and actor Mm. how they work that into their plot but then also you know that these actors are actually grieving Mm -hmm. for the real person and there's such an impact to that and I just recently was thinking a lot about Helen McCrory's death and seeing this right off the bat with Black Panther it really resonated because I was already sort of thinking about that that Mm -hmm. situation Um, yeah so that was my first impression what about you Eddie? Yeah, I think, I mean, so this film opens essentially with T'Challa dying and then uh, a long kind of funeral sequence. And there was no other way that they could have started this film. There just mm-hmm. wasn't. It was the the way that it had to be. You had to pay tribute to that man, Chadwick Boseman, to that character, literally Black Panther. And I thought it was absolutely beautiful. I was weeping in the audience. Yeah. It was so emotional. And it was just beautiful, the dancing and and the African celebration and their white costumes Mm -hmm. and just like the music and Wakanda looking so gorgeous and the grief 
that was like as you say helen so palpable mm-hmm. with all the actors it was a really powerful way to open this mm-hmm. and and the credits especially the credits when yeah. it comes up and says like you get the marvel thing and it's yeah. just silent wind blowing and it's all him, of him yeah yeah mm-hmm. I, yeah i really teared powerful. up at that for sure yeah it is so hard to not be moved yeah. <laughs> by the opening of this film and with the the Marvel opening and it just being Chadwick mm-hmm. reminded me of when Stan Lee died mm-hmm. and they did that at the beginning of Endgame. It feels like genuine care and respect. Yeah. And it is very sad at the beginning of this film, but what they do that I think work really well is they move into the celebration mm really gracefully mm-hmm. and just so visually beautiful to watch yeah, it's yeah. so stunning and it's a good way to segue into doing a two-hour <laughs> what 40-minute film yeah. marvel film marvel yeah. film and that's not an easy thing to do and I think that they did manage to address it and move into it quite gracefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I cannot imagine trying to nail that balancing act. That mm-hmm. was so, so well done. Yeah. Because those are two wildly different tonal, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we kind of get into the storytelling right at the very beginning of this film. Right. Because Chadwick Boseman is gone. And so Black Panther is gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And has died. So why don't we start there in storytelling with... That absence, mm-hmm. how did that, how do we feel about that throughout the film and what did we think it added or took away from the storytelling? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Ryan Coogler had no idea that Chadwick Boseman was sick. Yeah. Mm. He had written a script and they were ready to start filming and then Chadwick Boseman died. And, and you know, Ryan Coogler has talked about how upsetting it is to, he's like, I had this these words written for him to say, I imagined directing him saying these words and that never gets to happen and like you know that's a death on top of a death you know like I know I know so considering that considering the fact that he'd already written a story it's interesting to see what this did become I mean we don't know what the story was going to be Mm -hmm. but I do think that what they did with this accomplishes something like really wonderful you know there's things that I wasn't into with this but like the main thread of like the female led story in this I really did enjoy Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that for me personally it's hard to be hard on this film because there was so much that was put onto this film like Mm -hmm. how can you even really perfectly deal with the situation you can't Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I think that there are issues in this film Mm -hmm. it's it's not a perfect film in any way But I think that what they managed to do was good and was the best option, really, for Mm. for what they could do. I was thinking about what if they had recast this? Right. Oh my god. And you can't like that would have been eviscerated. Is going to take on that role? (laughs) Yeah. First of all, there's just no way. And oh, it's that's such an interesting point because it's like there's definitely actors that would because they would think, oh my god, this is going to be the biggest opportunity of my life. But also, man. I know. Like, I mean, who, you're going to cover I Will Always Love You now after what right. you did? Like, <laughs> yeah, no. I know. I know. <laughs> Interestingly, though, I read that Chad McBoseman's brother criticized their choice to not recast T'Challa because he said Chad McBoseman wouldn't have been so egotistical as to think he's the only person that could have played this part. Of course mm-hmm. he wouldn't have. He was right. like he a, an absolute graceful gentleman right, by all right. accounts. Yeah. But yeah. I also think that he would most likely be okay with the women in the of film. Course, of yeah. course, of course. Being the focus, yeah. which I personally think was the best part of this film. I, I think agree. it was a great choice. Yeah. And I feel like Wakanda has such strong women yes Mm -hmm. that why not highlight them yeah Mm -hmm. in the first film the the female characters were actually my my favorite yeah i thought they were so cool and also this year with the woman king right Mm -hmm. i can't get enough female warrior content i was all for it so i actually didn't realize that they were going to be the main focus and there really is not a lot of men like not (laughs) at all in this film i thought it was really cool and i will be honest it made me invested Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah see that's really cool i like that i felt his absence 
throughout this film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I love that it took that direction. And I do think Shuri is the one to carry on as that character, the protector of Wakanda. And she was so up for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like that character was just a small character in the first film. Yeah. Really. And she was his sidekick, the scientist there. And, you know, she did her thing. But really to have that character become the focal point and the protagonist in this was risky because you don't know if that's going to work or not. Everyone loves Shuri, but you don't know if you love her as the the main hero of the Mm -hmm. film. But that, I think, is what is compelling about Mm -hmm. the story is it's because it's the story of a sibling who is not anticipating having to step up and take on these roles. Like, this is the scientist character Mm -hmm. that just wants to be in the lab working on the technology and has to step up when no one can. Yeah. And I thought that that's that, a hero story. That's that a, hero's is a hero's journey. Story. Yes. And that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things, like his absence is felt throughout this entire film, and it's largely in the way that basically grief is what is propelling mm-hmm. the Wakandan characters' journeys throughout this film. Yeah. It is their primary motivation from Ramonda, that's Angela Bassett, to Shuri, Letitia Wright, throughout it, right? And Lupita Nyong'o's character too. Mm-hmm. And I think that basically grief the presence of grief, tremendous grief, how we respond to it, Mm -hmm. what it does to us, whether it corrupts Mm -hmm. us or empowers us or whatever, is the primary theme of this film from word go and basically for both sides of it, from Mm -hmm. Namor's character as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's tricky to have a movie where there is so much grief to not make it a bummer for the the full, you know, two hours, 40 minutes. Because nobody wants that. And, you know, Marvel does have a sense of humor. There's usually a sense of humor that's running throughout the films. And I thought that though this doesn't have a ton of humor in it, the humor moments in between those moments of grief actually really worked for me. I thought the women were hilarious. Yeah. And the chemistry between them was really funny. One of my favorite scenes is when Okoye and Shari go to MIT to, like, save Riri Williams, basically. I wanted more of that. I think for me, something that... When I have a hard time connecting with superhero movies, it's because they are so CGI'd and kind of fantastical that it just doesn't feel like a you know, a real mm. world to me. Mm. So when I get to see the superheroes in real life, in our world, quote unquote, that's where I start to kind of latch on. So when they did come to like recruit her and, you know, they go back to the garage where her computer is and everything, like I was so into those scenes mm. and the humor there is great. Like we get some really great banter. Small, small girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you brought a spear? Like yeah. that whole scene was actually fucking hilarious. Yeah, I like, thought I it was so funny. I could have done a whole movie of just like the three of them (laughs) so I will say though that that character Riri who played by Dominique Thorne was so unnecessary for me in this film okay I I thought that she was a that was a complete waste of energy I get it I understand that they're setting up a TV series Ironheart I get that that's who that hero is but we already have the young brilliant scientist that like (laughs) how was she different from Shuri really as a character and why did I need her Mm -hmm. story and if Shiri is my protagonist she's who I'm following in this Mm -hmm. film I want to see her story and I didn't if you're going to introduce this other character Riri then like have them really impact one another in a Mm -hmm. way that shifts Shiri's story some yeah that's what I would have needed in order for her to have any kind of relevance otherwise I was like okay if anybody who's complaining about this movie being too long take her out yeah that whole storyline does not need to be there it could have just been the CIA who had a vibranium right. discovering a thing well that's exactly what didn't work for me not exactly her right I think that her comedic moments were really good but well, the actress is great, and sure. The yeah, is oh, great. totally. Yeah, and I could see how that would generate interest for her character. But I think that what doesn't work for me is that when you watch these movies, you're constantly. 
being reminded that this movie is part of the exactly. MCU. Yes. yes. And it becomes so exhausting because it's yeah. constantly pulling you out of the main story. It feels like an ad yes. you know, for the next thing. Yeah. But it didn't always. It did in this one for me but, too, but okay. in, it does it didn't always. Like but in this, previous films, you yes. mean? Yeah. This has become such a monopoly. Yeah. It is dominating, just dominating to the point where it's exhausting. And I think what's special about Black Panther is it feels like its own thing. Mm. There are qualities with the Black Panther movies that I do not feel in the majority of other Marvel films. Mm -hmm. And you are just constantly being reminded that this is part of a bigger universe. I thought the Martin Freeman stuff get that out get of that there. out that's another 10 minutes um, or 15 julia minutes of screen Louis, time julia okay. drive yes. because wakanda is in such a special bubble yeah and literally th- literally <laughs> and the characters are so strong having the focus away from them just pulls the movie in all these different directions and it, it makes you feel like was this part of another script? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, has this kind of just put in here because there's all these ulterior motives mm-hmm. and it takes you out of the main story, which is which is Shuri. Yeah. So there were a few cameos in this movie that bothered me because they were distracting but didn't lead anywhere. So mm-hmm. we have Lake Bell at the very beginning. She just dies right away. I was like, so excited to see like Belle in a Marvel movie. I was like, oh my God, like Belle. Okay, but you know? I, I will say I actually really liked her character. Yeah, but sure, she's in it for two minutes. Like, what's the point? Yeah, but you see like Belle and you're like, why aren't we seeing like Belle in other movies? She's like a really funny director. She's great. And totally. Actress, and it's like, it But remi- maybe this will remind people, uh, this movie is going to make a billion dollars. People are going to be like, who's that? This will help. But, That's why she took it. I actually, right. that was a role, speaking to the like the female lead of this film, her role in the very opening of this film would have just been cast as some man actor in mm-hmm. most of their films. I thought that she brought a different direction. To, I actually liked it her. Just, I just find it distracting when it's somebody, it's a performer I really like and I look forward to seeing their character arc and then it's just nothing. Like Julia Louis-Dreyfus is an incredible comedic uh, actress. Totally agree. And she is nothing in this movie. Yes, but I agree with that. this is one of the biggest issues that I have when I go in to watch comic book movies mm-hmm. is that I see huge movie stars. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to see Black Adam. You did? Yes. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but fuck? that movie was um, fun. <laughs> but, you know, Pierce Brosnan is in that. And then right before Wakanda Forever, there's trailers for the new Ant-Man and you see Michelle mm-hmm. Pfeiffer and Michael yeah. Douglas. And you're looking at these movie stars and you haven't seen them in anything else in so long. And it's like... Is that the work now mm. for movie stars? Where where are they? Yes, mm. and that's it. And it it's it made me feel bad. I get yeah. that. Yeah, you I know? get that. Well, I mean, you know, speaking of Lake Bell, her scene does actually introduce us to the you know quote villains mm-hmm. of, yeah. of mm-hmm. the film. Yeah. So today I actually went back and I listened to our recording of the first Black Panther movie mm-hmm. and how we felt about it and. I really liked that movie and the reason, the main reason I really liked that movie is because I loved Michael B. Jordan as uh, Killmonger. Yeah. That villain role was so captivating Mm -hmm. and I think that's why this movie as a a whole didn't really work for me because Mm -hmm. this villain did absolutely nothing for me Mm -hmm. and this villain world did nothing for me. I was so disinterested. I kind of liked Namor. Really? Yeah. He did not work for me. And not the actor, but the character. I just, I wasn't captivated Mm -hmm. by him. I don't think his performance really captivated me. Mm. But I think the idea of him and his world did. Like, Mm. I liked traveling into that underwater kingdom, Mm -hmm. to be honest. I liked (laughs) going into that. I liked the siren-like quality it's cool it's a cool concept i just uh, the thing i like most about these movies is the villain are the villains and i will say that is an area where marvel films do often get it right mm-hmm. it's why yeah. people really really loved thanos yeah thanos was a really complex interesting villain mm. he was evil he was a villain but he also had a really strong guiding principle actually that you kind of were like okay if I were some cosmic being maybe I could see it Mm -hmm. I get it Mm -hmm. Killmonger is a 
brilliant villain because so you good. genuinely really understand him. Yes. You mm-hmm. get his motivation. Yes. And the whole first film, you spend the whole time being like, is he actually right? Exactly. Yeah. Like Wakanda is beautiful, but it's like at the end of the day, they're this incredibly wealthy, powerful yeah. nation on the poorest continent on our planet. Right. And they're not sharing anything to yeah. help the people around them. Mm-hmm. And Killmonger is like, what's up, mm-hmm. y'all? Mm-hmm. And he's brilliant. This character, I'm with you too, Sinclair. I loved seeing Talakon. Mm. I loved seeing his world. I thought it was beautiful. I liked the idea of all of that. Namor as a, as a character, I get it too. But I actually feel like Namor could have his whole own film. I understood his purpose as facilitating that story about vengeance mm. for Shuri. And like that type of growth. And in their final battle sequence, I was like, who am I rooting for yeah. here? He wasn't a villain enough because I was like, well, right. dude's kind of justified. But then he did kill Queen Ramonda. And I'm like, no. So what I do like about Black Panther, there, there's a lot of like social and political yes. commentary running through this. Having Namor as the villain and his kingdom versus Wakanda because they should be allies. Yeah. And a lot of it is supposed to represent... The Latin community right. and the yeah. black community. Yeah. And how they should be allies. Right. But, you know, they're sometimes forced to be turned against each other. And mm-hmm. I like that mm. element of Black Panther that I don't see the, you know, political questions or the philosophical questions mm. in a lot of other Marvel movies. The last one I felt that really posed questions to me was Endgame. Mm-hmm. And none since. Mm. And with Black Panther, with these two feuding worlds that should be allies, I thought that that was interesting. Yeah. And I don't think Namor is necessarily the most captivating character but I think his kingdom and what he represents is yeah I get that it starts Mm -hmm. up a conversation yeah that Um, makes sense and speaking of different cultures this is the one thing that I want to praise this movie for is the fact that it cares this movie cares Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's hard to dislike a movie that puts so much energy and thought into its detail yes and yeah in a lot of ways, respects the art of filmmaking because of its care for detail. Yeah. Just the different cultures that are represented in this movie are unreal. I don't think Marvel lately has given audiences a reason to care, but Black Panther does. And you can feel in Wakanda the pride Mm. and the respect that you don't feel in other movies. Mm. And that comes from genuine care. Like, what other movie do you... Like, when you hear Wakanda Forever... You immediately want to tear up because you can feel the emotion behind yeah, it. And you true. can feel the pride the movie has for that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't feel that in other Marvel movies or comic book movies. Mm. And I think a big part of that as well, the care, is also coming from the performances. These yeah. actors know the impact of the film that they're in. And they care about these characters. And they care about these performances, especially in this one. I think we have to start with Angela Bassett. Yeah. She's incredible. I could not get over how beautiful Angela Bassett was. Every time I see her on screen, I just, I can't get over what a vision she is. Yeah. And there is nobody that fits this movie visually better than her. Yeah. Or that can summon the like queen energy like that. Excuse me. This is one movie star that doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. That you actually look and you're like, okay, you fit But she actually has a character arc. You have a character arc. You fit this. Like her scene where she explodes at Okoye. Oh my God. Yeah. I actually thought that could get her an Oscar nomination. I think so. I would get behind this as a Best Supporting Actress nomination in a heartbeat. I thought she was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. She carries so much grief. Mm-hmm. and power yeah. and love and authority when she's sitting there in the like UN building or whatever yeah. and she's t- taking them all to task yeah. for coming to Wakanda you're like this is a woman not to be toyed with mm-hmm. she has mm-hmm. command mm-hmm. and then you see her broken and grief stricken I just thought it was really incredible and you, we know that I have issues with Angela Bassett since she yes. directed the Whitney <laughs> Lifetime biopic but and that which was an unforgivable disaster right. but yet I cannot help but bow down yeah. to that queen cause yeah. honey her arms still look amazing too. oh my god oh my god she's get over it yes. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get into Letitia Wright because mm-hmm. I just think Letitia Wright is the coolest. 
I love that this movie focused on Shuri. And there is a cool meta quality here because Shuri needs to step up and take this place. And Letitia Wright had to as well. Yes, that's really you know, true. Letitia Wright is just suddenly getting this movie put on her shoulder. Just the only one. one. <laughs> Not only one single shoulder. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot for a shoulder. That's okay. a lot for one single shoulder. <laughs> it's even a lot for two shoulders. It's a to lot for honest, two shoulders. I, I completely, I hadn't really thought about that, about the meta. The meta quality. The yeah. meta quality yeah. of that. Like, yeah. But she wants to, you know, do right for her brother in the film, but also for Chadwick, for Chadwick Boseman, Boseman in real life. You know, yeah. I'm going to do my best here. And for the fans, it's a lot of pressure because she knows that she's going to be stepping into huge shoes Mm. she is now the black panther that's a lot of pressure in and of itself but she also knows unfortunately that she's going to be opening herself up to all of these like Mm -hmm. you know sad man fans that are like Mm. oh the mcu and like why is she you know for real and think about how long chadwick boseman had to wrap his head around the idea that he was going to be black panther and train yeah yeah. And Letitia Wright is like, I, yeah, I guess I'm doing this. Yeah. To be honest, this film has an, an abundance, a richness of characters that are mm-hmm. all really well played. But another main character in this one was Denai Gurira playing mm-hmm. Okoye. Yes. This mm-hmm. was one of my favorite characters. She was fearless. Mm-hmm. Actually fearless. And another character that just shows her devotion. Yeah. And you believe it. Yeah. Like she would just, she would fall on a grenade for Shuri. And I mean, she does kind of get fired, but I mean, <laughs> but she even had, in that scene, mm. she was <laughs> so, so job. good in that. She accepts it and she's like, all right. And she was great with the comedy too. Yeah. Oh, 100%. This is what I'm saying. Like her and Letitia Wright, when they go to MIT, I'm like, yeah. this, yeah. this comedy duo, I'm into it. Yeah. Absolute scene stealer. Yeah. All right. So what about technical? Well, in the first movie, the cinematographer was Rachel Morrison, and she was going to come back and do this film, but she had another uh, project that had been delayed because of COVID, and then she couldn't do this. So we get another female cinematographer for this film, Autumn Durald Arkapa. And I mean, this is a technically incredible film. Yeah. The Marvel Mm. films are that. Like, (laughs) I was really happy to see they got another female cinematographer for this. They stuck with that. The cinematography is kind of strange in this because... There are shots that seem like generic Marvel shots, mm. like some of the the battle scenes and mm-hmm. whatnot. But then there'll be jaw dropping shots, yeah. right? Like when they dive, the warriors dive. Oh yeah, that's a beautiful shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's strange. It's like maybe she had a certain vision for some of these mm. shots, but then there's also like the generic the Marvel, Marvel stuff yes. that has to come in and who knows what, you know, choices were hers or whatnot. Yeah. But there were some actual jaw-dropping shots in this film. Ruth Carter won the Oscar for Black Panther costuming. Mm. She did the costuming again in this one. It is equally breathtaking. Oh, the costuming is incredible. Honestly, like she won't, she might win again because... Yeah. You wouldn't believe how many the cultures details. are covered right. in this yeah, movie no. in terms of the You're the, right. the costuming. Like, and how do you just do all of it and it be so flawless? I don't know how she doesn't win again. It's yeah. incredible. What other film is giving you the costuming like this? Yeah. Truly, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just couldn't get over what was covered in this. It's Ruth Carter, but also just the, all the production design in general. And the thing is, is that it's combining ancient cultures mm. with sci-fi. And there's a lot of a term that I had no idea existed. It's Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. which is an aesthetic and a philosophical movement that is combining science fiction with African political theory. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. And it's done so impeccably Mm -hmm. um and it's meant to move away from the idea of racism and Mm. um colonialism Mm -hmm. and to see black people in a flourishing Mm -hmm. country where they're powerful self-actualized and yeah in that way and also like where the women are powerful yeah and the sets and the costume just represent that idea so well i think it was just it was impeccable Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i agree like a real art form Yeah. yeah 
Yeah. And I will say there was an improvement in the visual effects in this one too. In the first one, they were great, like they usually are, but some of the fight sequences, especially the one at the end, did feel a little like Transformers. Yeah, video game Transformers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. But Where, the underwater stuff was pretty good. I thought I it was pretty say. good in this too. Yeah. I I really liked that. Okay, what was the last word on Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Helen. We all know these aren't my movies. I have trouble connecting to them. There's a lot I actually really appreciated about this movie. Um, I I love the female forward aspect of this. And it is, you know, a technically beautiful film. And yeah, the more I think about the costuming now, I'm like, I would go back and watch this again just to study all the costumes because they're mm. so intricate. There's so much to look at there. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Addison. Last word for me, I was slightly nervous going into this one. This is the last film of Phase 4 in the MCU. And largely, I have found Phase 4 to be really disappointing. Mm. And there's a lot on the shoulders of this movie. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to really measure my expectations. And it did meet them. I really, really enjoyed seeing this. I saw it at the IMAX. It was such an experience. There were definitely some things about the film that didn't necessarily work. But overall, I can't imagine how they could have done it better considering the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought that it had a fitting tribute to Chadwick. Yeah, this isn't a perfect film. I also have a hard time caring about all this Marvel (laughs) stuff. But I'll care if you care, movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, if you care, then I'll care. And this movie had a lot of care Mm. in it so i i enjoyed it from present day wakanda to 1920s ireland our next film in this double feature episode is the banshees of inishirin written and directed by martin mcdonough it is his first film since 2017's three billboards outside ebbing missouri in banshees colin farrell plays padrick A dull but nice man who doesn't understand why his once best friend Colm, played by Brendan Gleeson, no longer wants anything to do with him. Despite Colm's threats to literally cut off his own fingers if Padraig keeps pestering him, our protagonist can't seem to accept that his friendship is over. Rounding out the cast, we have Carrie Condon as Padraig's sister Siobhan and Barry Keegan as Dominic. The Banshees of Inishirin asks the question, if you win the war but lose everything along the way, are you really a winner? If by everything along the way you mean fingers yeah. <laughs> I would and, s- and donkey. house and I would say donkey. no you do not win well, who's the winner I don't know okay uh, first impressions Edison so my first impression was for this one I saw this very late I had gone to the theater for an advanced screening of Devotion first mm-hmm. at, which was great by the way so I didn't this d- film didn't even start until 10.20 p.m. <laughs> And I had just been in the theater all night. So I was a little, like, tired at that point. Fair. (laughs) But I... And these films are very tonally different. Mm -hmm. But I knew what I was kind of getting into. Or I thought I knew what I was getting into. And it ended up actually being the exact right kind of mood Mm. and vibe for that time of night for Mm. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about you? Well, I saw this today. Oh, my God. I had a hair appointment this morning, and then I Ubered in a freaking blizzard (laughs) from my hair salon to the movie theater, so I missed the first, like, eight minutes. I believe Mm. believe what you mean is a freaking... A freaking... A freaking blizzard. Um, A freaking blizzard? I can't do it. Wow. (laughs) However, Justin was there, so he filled me in Uh. on what happened and basically said... Yeah, this guy, he he went to go see his friend. His friend doesn't want to be his friend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was my first impression was me rushing into the theater about like right after the start of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sinclair? Okay, well, I actually saw this with a group of seven. Mm. You got seven people together oh, to see this I mean, movie. it was me and a bunch of friends. And I usually always sit on the aisle. Because mm-hmm. I have such a weak bladder. Because mm-hmm. you're a senior citizen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know if I was just feeling ballsy or I don't know. But I sat in the middle. But Whoa. I had definitely had um, some ciders beforehand. And I made the mistake of sitting in the middle. So I thought I didn't need to go to the bathroom. And then it hit me right away. 
And th- this was as this movie was starting. So like the first <laughs> 15 minutes of this movie, I was stress watching oh, no. because I had to pee so badly. So I got up and I went to the bathroom and then I came back and I realized also that, yes, this was, you know, he went into the pub and he he doesn't yeah. want to be friends with him anymore. But what I thought was really interesting about the way this started was that at the beginning of this, the tones suggest this movie is going to be a lot lighter than it is. And I think that if you are familiar with Martin McDonough, you kind of expect that things can go a lot more haywire mm-hmm. and a lot darker. Yeah. But if you don't know Martin McDonough, you can go into this and start watching this and, and think that it's going to be a lot lighter than it is. Yeah. And I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we'll get into where it goes. But well, I think also, though, with Martin McDonough, you do his other films. Yeah, they are all he definitely is. It's like they're very, very dark, dark, dark. But comedy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but drama comedy, right? Yeah, it's yes. called like dark tragicomedy. <laughs> yeah, yes. I get that. That makes total sense. Yeah. But the other films that he's made are pretty complex in terms of plot story. Right. Like, yeah. this one's not. Yeah. Literally, mm-hmm. one friend is like, I don't want to be your friend anymore. The other <laughs> one is like, what? Yeah. That's the film mm-hmm. in terms of plot. Well, and it's interesting that this film begins with the ending of their friendship. And you don't actually know what their friendship was right. before this. Yeah, and true. I think it's kind of an interesting way to start this film. You know, you're starting it with the end of something. Mm. Yeah, because you don't know if they've been, have they been friends forever? Are they just pub friends? But mm. in this tiny little place, that can also be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into the storytelling. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're beginning with the end of something. Mm-hmm. I think with storytelling, this film is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It's so, so, so strong and so dense. And I was not a fan of Three Billboards. Neither was I. Outside yeah. Ebbing, Missouri. I really didn't like it. I loved yeah, her performance. Didn't. And I was like, mm, this film is not for me. Yeah. But I did really like Seven Psychopaths. And I really, really loved In Bruges. In Bruges is wonderful. Which I watched In Bruges, hilariously. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> So I went in basically being like, uh, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I really loved it because I thought, okay, you're taking the most sparse of like kind of plot detail and you're actually creating an incredibly dense thematic film. Mm-hmm. Right. That really causes me to like think about existential questions. I know you love this film. You must have Sinclair. <laughs> There's definitely <laughs> a lot of existential stuff I yeah. was definitely into. Yes. So Martin McDonough was first a playwright. He's written quite a few plays. Yeah. And he's written two trilogies. And one of his trilogies is called the Aran Islands Trilogy. So this includes The Cripple of Inishman, The Lieutenant of Inishmore, and then The Banshees of Inishir. Oh my God, I did not know this. Which is a that play. That he was a playwright? Or that, that, these, or the tri- that, that the there was a trilogy okay, of these plays. Because yeah, yeah. so, the island they filmed it on was Inishmore. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So The Banshees of Inishir was never produced and was never published because Martin McDonough, McDonough does not think it's good. You have to assume that this has at least something to do with that play, although mm. he has said it's not similar. Um, so we don't really know. But this felt so much like a play to me in all the right ways, mm-hmm. in all the best ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, you know, to talk about this right after talking about Black Panther because what those movies lack for me, this has it in spades mm-hmm. when it comes to character development and these quiet moments between people and all of the existential questions and all of these like rich thematic elements. This movie fed my soul. <laughs> but I will say, this is where, like I said in the opening, these films are oddly connected because right. they are both about grief. Yeah, that's and true. Loss and vengeance. Yeah, that yep, that's true. It's interesting because, you know, when I left this movie, I didn't feel good at all. Mm. I thought this movie was like abusive and mean. Really? Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I but I liked this movie, mm. but this wasn't a feel good movie. Oh, this fuck no. it's it was, not a feel good movie. You know, <laughs> this was a movie this was an abusive, manipulative, evil, mean movie in so many ways, and it was cynical. Mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. so definitely didn't feed my soul but i mean it did in terms of i just mean 
in comparison to Black Panther, <laughs> yeah. like this gave me more. <laughs> gave you more to work with for sure. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what I appreciate about this a lot. I actually really did like this film. But, you know, dark comedy is funny it, and because it you sit there and you're laughing, but there's a lot of fucked up things that are happening in this movie and yeah. their their friendship or, you know, quote unquote friendship it's fucked up. There's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really interesting because this should have been a film that made me leave the theater feeling I know, like I know. that. You don't like in that. the yeah. absolute like yeah. depths of yeah. my soul being like lost amongst the cynicism mm. of it. But the truth is, is that I spent this whole film just pitying Colm. And I just thought, there's yeah. you, this is all on you, man. Yeah. You just are either super depressed or you're just not seeing all of the joy that surrounds you in this breathtaking, beautiful place and these friendly people. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah. My biggest takeaway with this was that war is futile because we have the Irish mm-hmm. Civil War Happening, going on. Yeah on the mainland and every once in a while a character will observe an explosion or something happening on the mainland but we don't really confront it and then you think and neither about, do they and neither do they and and then you think about the conflict between Colm and Patrick and that feels futile too it's like what are you even fighting about why do you not want to be his friend because he's dull that's it that's the only reason right and but it does become a war between these two men and at the end of it you're left just feeling like what was that all for mm-hmm. it that is what i took from this was, yeah what's the point the of fighting of vengeance <laughs> of, yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, the war stuff is thematically i think interesting i think it's a fascinating backdrop but I think that what makes that powerful is that it also doesn't really matter if you pay attention to that or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not even really the central focus. It's just yeah. a nice, interesting historic backdrop. It to adds it. to the like environment of it all. And the setting in this film was also a character in this film. Oh, we yeah, talked about sure. that a lot in New York yeah, films. Right. Or, you know, but in this one, the almost surreal beauty, but also the isolation mm-hmm. and those winding narrow roads with their little walls on either side that you can duck behind. Like it <laughs> really contributed to story. Yeah. In a big mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you could just stay in the intimacy of it and the bubble of it yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because through a different lens, if you thought about being there for your entire life forever with approximately 40 people that you know and one pub that you have to march over four hills to get to, it might feel a bit oppressive. Mm. Mm-hmm. But if you think of it through the lens of, I'm going to go there for a summer and write a novel or just sit and look at swim in the mm-hmm. beach and make a barbecue mm-hmm. or play with my dog or donkey, then yeah. it's like actual paradise. Well, yeah, I wrote down that the setting of this is it's dull, but it's beautiful. And it's kind of a representation of Patrick's character too. Like yeah. he's dull, but he's beautiful. Right. And there, there is beauty in mu- the mundane. Yeah. But it's also harsh. The, both of these characters are, of this place. Right. Patrick is that. Yeah. But Colm is the other because mm. we we don't see this place in the winter, in the brutality True. and the rain, the sideways wind and the yeah. storms and the slashing ocean. And it's harsh and cold and awful and isolated and you're cut off and the power goes out and there's no snow plows or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's like Colm represents the other side of this mm-hmm. place. Oh, well, let's mm-hmm. talk about him. Okay. <laughs> about Colm. By the end of the movie, I was completely done with him. Same. You know, I, I was... I had sympathy for Colm. I honestly, I like the ideas around his psychology. I think that's really mm. interesting. But I was mm. done with him by the end because I don't think any of my dissection of what's going on in his head justifies anything he does. In yes, mm-hmm. agreed. At all. One of the biggest themes in this for me was legacy. Of yes. course. And wanting to have a legacy... But also how selfish it is, too, with the way he goes about it. And I understand that death is scary. Mm -hmm. And when you reach a certain age, looking back on your life and thinking, I haven't done anything important. Mm -hmm. I've been in this small little village and I've been, you know, drinking my life away when I wanted to do my music. And now I'm nearing the end of my life and I'm not going to be remembered for anything. And the idea that he doesn't want to be really remembered for being nice or anything like that or being a good friend, 
by the end you can't really get behind him because it seems to be very egotistical yeah but look i get it like i said the idea of death puts you in a fucked up place well but But, it's really asking us the question of like what is it that we value yes actually because he's like i only mattered if I can create this yeah. musical score that lasts beyond me. Because that's timeless and that carries on. Like music carries on, but yes. being a nice guy that sat at the bar with your friend and mm-hmm. drank doesn't Yeah, really. but you don't carry on. Guess what? You're dead. <laughs> yeah. So like legacy. Well, I... as Siobhan says, you're all boring. <laughs> yes. <too. laughs> it doesn't matter at the end of the day. So there's no, the legacy only lasts for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Unless you're literally like an artist of some right. kind that's it right. well right but he's also creating this art and almost to the point where he's trying to create this village's folklore of him the great songwriter that cut off all his fingers it was like he's trying to pull a van go literally yes <laughs> you know it was like the he ego. was trying to like emulate these these famous well-known composers thinking he needs to cut off his fingers and also create an enemy because who are you if you haven't made any enemies in your life Mm -hmm. that means you've gone through your life probably just placating to people and being nice like Padraig. I don't know. I don't know how many enemies do I have? Yeah, but that that could be fine with you, but it's not fine with Colum, clearly. Right. You know, he's trying to create an enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember that feud. Oh yeah, you he's know? trying mm-hmm. to create a legacy that's mm-hmm. all of the drama as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm with the you. I can't get behind feud, that. You know, the great war, the great and, feud. And in this small community, they would remember it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Right? Well, the, because yeah. like, look, if you and I stopped being friends, the city of Toronto wouldn't give a shit. No, of course not. <laughs> I would. You know, <laughs> Helen would, but it's not like, you know. But no one will give a shit about how you feel either <laughs> yeah. one generation from now. You know, the subway's not going to stop. No. <laughs> But why should it? And that I, that goes yes. back to it, right? Like it shouldn't. It's not really about us as individuals. Yeah, it or is, is to it? ourselves. I don't know. That's yeah. it. That's why this movie is so good. Mm. Is because literally, just in simply dissecting the ending of a friendship, mm. it allows all everyone who watches this film to say, "Okay, wait." What does matter? Mm-hmm. Like, really, mm-hmm. what is legacy? Does it matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the purpose of it? And I mean, I think I have sympathy for Colm because I just inherently have sympathy for, like, lonely old men. It's mm-hmm. just something that, like, gets at my heartstrings. And but an I, artist. And an artist. Mm-hmm. And, but I can understand that panicky feeling of, like, what was my life for, right? Yes. And feeling like you have to rectify that before you die and it doesn't justify the behavior at all would you want to hurt someone in the process no no and it's interesting i mean the scene where they finally do sit down across from one another and um after colm has finished writing his song and they start to actually talk i felt the way that i feel in like romantic movies when like the couple finally gets together (laughs) like truly it made my heart sore i was like they're gonna be friends again i was like so hopeful but what was their friendship that was that's my question you know what was that like because first of all giving someone the silent treatment is really one of the most manipulative things you can do Mm -hmm. and it's not trying to end something it's trying to get a response mm, really so true. it's not he wasn't trying to end that friendship really he was playing this cat and mouse game like i said he was trying to make an enemy mm-hmm. he was trying to have a legacy mm-hmm. also to mutilate yourself and then to make it that it was somebody else it was yeah, somebody else's fault that's fucked up that's a <laughs> fucked up fucked thing up. to do but there's the um, other side of it is it's like is he just really going through it? Mm-hmm. Because I do get that. I get mm-hmm. it. I understand the thing of I see the finish line mm-hmm. of my life and I'm way closer to it than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And I look back at the race and I realize I didn't even run in it. Right. And it's like, oh, that's some existential crisis yes. that we yeah. as people in our 30s can't understand. Mm-hmm. Truly well, cannot understand. Here's where I can get on the flip side of that is that Sometimes you have a friend that is weighing you down. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have friends that drink and do drugs 
that you have to cut off mm-hmm. and that you have to walk away from because they are dragging you into things you don't want to be in. And maybe you are trying to start something new or make yourself better. Yes. And even trying to quit smoking, mm-hmm. you can't even be around your friends that smoke. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I obviously this is a very extreme <laughs> version of that, but I can get behind the idea of sometimes you have to walk away from a friend that isn't helping you further yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of animals in this film. Yes, <laughs> um, Jenny. Jenny and Gam. I don't know if that's the dog's name, but he says Gam when he talks about the dog. Justin actually made a really astute point about how far are we from animals when it comes to conflict and how we treat each other. And he noticed that, you know, the animal like Jenny, the donkey and the animals at Patrick's farm are generally outside of the home when he's still behaving civilly. And then as soon as he starts to behave uncivilly, the animals are invited in Mm -hmm. and are in the home with him. And the animals in this film really had an impact on me like I felt that friendship mm-hmm. between Jenny and Patrick and I was genuinely devastated when Jenny mm-hmm. died in this Same. film well like, animals they will devote to you mm-hmm. 100% yeah, they they're not going to discontinue yeah, the friendship no, over a pint no. of Guinness they the will <laughs> always be there they have 100% devotion to you Yeah, and that's where the attachment is yeah. for sure and that's why when he was so sad he needed the donkey in the house yeah. <laughs> that line yeah. is so perfect <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> you can't tell the donkey that you can't be in here when I'm sad, <laughs> sad I know yeah, and then even with Colm's dog, like, yeah. grabbing the shears and, like, pulling them out I of know. the house. I know. Yeah. I thought it was funny in terms of, like, male emotion how <laughs> this man would rather cut off his fingers than truly have right. a genuine con- conversation about his feelings. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. Rather cut off some fingers. I know. The song that he is composing is called The Banshees of Inishirin. Mm-hmm. And that's the title of the film. Right, yeah. So who are the Banshees? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a, a little bit of folklore for y'all listeners. A Banshee is a spirit from Irish folklore who heralds the death of a family member by wailing, screaming, shrieking, mm-hmm. or keening. And keening is a form of a vocal lament for the dead mm-hmm. in old Irish and Scottish Gaelic tradition. It's said to be mournful beyond all other sounds on earth. Mm-hmm. And so in this film, it's like, okay, well, who is the Banshee? And That it's, old lady. Yeah, obviously. Mm. <laughs> yes, old Mrs. O'Reardon. You think, okay, this yeah. is the witch of the town. Yeah. She's, or she's like embodying death. She mm-hmm. is the Banshee, for sure. And even in the very final sh- final shot of the film, she is at the center of the two of them. Yeah. It was very Macbeth, I found. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely totally. drawing on that, for sure. And she predicts that there will be two deaths. Yeah. And we have Dominic who dies as well. I know. And we'll talk about him in performances. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the war, I think, is also a banshee. Because in the title, mm. it's Banshees of Inishirin, yeah, not true. the Banshee of yeah. Inishirin. And I think that the war makes sense because it's something that's there. We hear the sounds of it, the wailing of the bombs or whatever yeah. in the distance on that island. Mm. And it's certainly portending death. Mm. So let's get into performances mm-hmm. because this is this film. Yeah. I just adored Colin Farrell in this, like absolutely adored. I had so, like my heart was just with him the entire time. He has had a bad boy persona in his career and I feel like he's picked really interesting roles and this totally goes against type for how most people would perceive Colin Farrell. Mm -hmm. He's such an interesting actor. When he first came out, Hollywood was like, yes, We've got an Irish rogue who wants to sleep with all the Hollywood, (laughs) who has this like drunken persona. He just kind of fit that stereotype, Mm -hmm. right? And he played along with it and it made him a huge movie star. And they were putting him in action movies and whatever. None of that fit him. Mm -hmm. It really didn't. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it in the past probably like decade or five to ten years where he's done these different things, working with Yorgos Lanthimos and Mm -hmm. doing a film like this. That brings this other quality to him. Yeah. He, his eyebrows are so fucking expressive. Yeah. But he has this warmth. Yeah. And this vulnerability mm-hmm. that comes through that's so beautiful. You cannot help but love this character. Yeah. yeah. And his performance is incredible in this. I agree. Mm-hmm. 
Listen, I always say he's a bad boy with a poet's soul. Yeah. Yes. You know, like he he has a poet's soul and eyes. Yes. <laughs> and he really is so versatile. I think that there's a lot of like Oscar talk for him. Yeah. Yeah. And justifiably and so. Yeah. Yeah. But with the yin, one must also have a yang. Mm-hmm. And then we have Brendan Gleeson as calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who Brendan Gleeson is always great. Mm-hmm. A lot of the conversation is about this being Colin Farrell's strongest mm-hmm. performance. And I can get behind that maybe. Brendan Gleeson is fantastic in this, but I've seen him be fantastic in a million yeah. other things yeah. as well. Yeah. I do think maybe he'll get a supporting Oscar nomination for this and mm-hmm. could be deserved. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that he, it, he wasn't the heart of this like Colin no. Farrell was. No. Um, but he was totally believable as mm-hmm. this character. And he brings that... What is the word? Like He brings a mystery and like a stoicism and he really is like an impenetrable wall. Yes. In this. And yes. that's hard to play because yes. you want as an actor you want to do more, I think. Yeah. yeah. And but it's there, it's underneath. Yeah. An and he just wall. is a mystery in yeah. this. Yeah. What is going on in his mind is never really clear. And that's a fascinating thing to be able to portray. Yeah. You know, I don't know too much about him in his real life, but I feel like he might be like a really nice guy, like a big teddy bear. Oh, <laughs> I, I would imagine so. I've, I've met you him. Know? You oh, met what? him? <laughs> yeah. When? Years and years ago when I was in Vancouver and I worked at Milestones. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, he w- came in, and yeah. I was like, that's Brendan Gleeson. Literally right. nobody who I worked with knew who yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. And he was the chillest, loveliest person. Yeah, and yeah. I think that it's those types of people that make something like this work. Yeah. Otherwise, it could be too distant. Well, yeah. that's not a likable character. No, and he, no, he I had had it with him it. at the end. That's yeah. what I'm sure. Well, Barry Keegan yes. as Dominic. Again, just a total sweetheart. This really pulled up my heartstrings with this movie. The moment where he confesses his feelings for Siobhan and she says no and he says, well, that dream is dead. And then he dies. And then he dies. Maybe kills himself. I don't know. I thought this was a really, really fine-tuned performance because he basically was playing the village idiot. He was the sort of jester of this film Mm -hmm. it's a supporting character it's okay that it's large Mm -hmm. and that he's adding a lot of characterization to it that could stray far from a very naturalistic Mm -hmm. performance but i thought that he played it so so well yeah i believed every moment of him in this i thought he was extraordinary yeah and and he's just trying to find the good in a really evil world yeah too and that's what's so sad so sad about it and we've seen him play like really evil characters so to see him play this sort of gentle unassuming character in this is lovely to see that contrast but I always feel like he could turn evil at any moment (laughs) every time I see him I'm like he's such a good actor because he has that quality to him where I'm like there could be a plot twist that Mm. you could be involved in there's a lot of depth and mystery (laughs) to him as a as an individual for sure and it comes through in the characters that he plays I think he's got such a long long career ahead of him for sure. Yeah. And Carrie Condon. Oh, she yeah. was one of, she was my favorite, I would say. So good. Well, she was, she was the yeah. voice of reason and this mm-hmm. the tr- bringing the truth and stick in this whole film. She was the only one that was emotionally mature. Totally. And yeah. logical. Yeah. And I liked that, you know, normally we see frenemy type situations with the characters Siblings. being well, women, oh, though, yeah. you know, yeah. like a frenemy is associated more with females. And I liked that it was her looking at these two, like right. they're a bunch of big drama kings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I love her relationship with Padraig, yeah, too. Same. You could tell that she had moments of exasperation. You could tell that Colm, when he says to her, like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm feeling. You don't want to be here. You know that he's dull mm-hmm. as shit or whatever. She does know that. Right. But she still loves him and sees all of his good qualities and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And all of that was present. I thought she was fantastic too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Technically, again, like the setting playing such a huge character in this. I think that the way it was shot was beautiful. It had to be. Yeah, that's my biggest technical takeaway. There are incredible shots in this film. 
there's so many sunset shots and just beautiful landscape shots. We get a, like a time lapse of the sun setting on the water. And it's just mm-hmm. those moments that you wish you could get on film, right? Yes. And then you see it and you're like, ah, oh, God damn it, they did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the cinematographer is Ben Davis, who does a, a lot, lot of Marvel, Marvel films, yes. Yeah. films yeah. which is funny and fitting for today's episode. But I think it's tricky to do a movie like this that has a large scale, but also an intimacy as well. Yes. And you have to have this island look beautiful, yes, but also look a bit like a prison mm-hmm. um, because it's supposed to feel like a prison Both to of those the people. Things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the detail was really great in this. Some of the big inspirations for this film, obviously Terrence Malick, like you can see that, Mm. Badlands, Mm -hmm. Days of Heaven. Mm -hmm. But the interior shots of Colm's house, a lot of the shots in that was inspired by Night of the Hunter, which is one of my favorite movies. Mm. And that has a lot of angles and corners and light and shadow. Cool. And it is such a nice contrast compared to these big sweeping landscape shots. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, what was the last word on The Banshees of Inishirin? This movie really moved me. I was, like, quite emotional watching this movie, and I wasn't expecting to be. I really, really liked it, and I'm looking forward to watching it again because I feel like it is very thematically rich, and there's probably things that I didn't fully digest upon first watch. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a second watch for me. Mm-hmm. Edison? Yeah, for me, I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was so well made in basically every facet. I'm sure that it's going to be a big part of the Oscar conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it deserves to be. I still prefer In Bruges, I think, but it's my mm. second favorite of Martin McDonough's films. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. This movie was fucked. Um, <laughs> last word. This movie's fucked um, in a great way. <laughs> Didn't emotionally mute, move me, but I appreciate how <laughs> fucked up it was. And one thing I will say that actually makes me love this movie even more <laughs> is the fact that I've overheard some like old biddies oh, talking yeah. about this movie. Because you wait to like, about now. Well, with your jelly. no, this is it just like overhearing in public, like old biddies talking <laughs> okay. about this movie and being like, we went to see the Banshees of Inishirin and. Oh, it was so weird. And like me just envisioning them thinking they were going to go see something like Belfast. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And then having to sit and watch the old five finger chop. (laughs) Now, that's what emotionally moves me. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And become a Patreon member if you feel generous. <laughs> Patreon.com slash talkmovietome. Or we'll cut off our fingers. <laughs> and throw them at your throw door. Throw at your doors. <laughs> I'm Helen. <laughs> I'm Miss Sinclair. <laughs> I'm Edison. Good night.